get myself a Lincoln Got me plotting, got me plotting, got me thinking, got me thinking How can I come up and get myself a Lincoln? I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast Hey, it's the Lincoln Addict Podcast, and uh, I'm your host, ODB, a.k.a. The Lincoln Addict, and uh, we've got an awesome episode for you, episode six. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Devious Customs. Make sure you visit DeviousCustoms.com and let Jeff Davey and the team know that Lincoln Addict Podcast sent you. For suspension needs or various parts, including exhaust, Hit him up, again, DeviousCustoms.com, and you can follow Jeff on Instagram, at DeviousCustoms. Also, Colorado Custom Wheels, also known as CC Cycle Wheels. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook. Let Michael know when you order the best billet wheels in the world, including the Lincoln replica wheels, let him know that the Lincoln Attic sent you. So we're on to episode two, the, actually episode six, but the second episode this year. This is, uh, I'm going to do kind of a shorter intro. I'm really, really excited about this interview with John Cashman. I had an opportunity to meet him finally. I had spoken to him a few times on the phone, and I know some folks that have known him for 40 years or so. Uh, it was really awesome to sit down and talk a little bit about Lincoln's, what got him into the whole uh, scene, if you will. Uh, the automotive scene uh, is, is obviously pretty vast nowadays, and it's always interesting to find out why did someone uh, start you know, doing what they do as far as working on these cars. So that's very interesting. We hit upon a little bit with the Jay Leno garage, that episode. So it's pretty cool. It's a little over an hour and it came out fantastic. Tony Boss Bolin was in the house when we uh, did the interview, so he chimes in a little bit. And uh, we had some fun with John overall with, um, you know, talking about uh, uh, broken flip-flops and, and all kinds of different stuff. So thank you. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. If you are a, a guy or a chick that's not on Instagram, you're missing out, uh, sign up. It's a free app. Download it. Uh, you know, create a username. And follow the Lincoln Man. If you, for whatever reason, are against Instagram, uh, you can go on Instagram.com/slash the Lincoln Man. Hit enter in your browser window, and then boom, you'll see that John has about 1,440 followers. He posts all kinds of different stuff from his dog Luna, different Lincolns he works on. He was at the Temecula Rod Run recently. Really good guy. And then in the bio. Uh, to uh, his on his Instagram, you can click. It takes you over to convertible Lincolns with an S. dot com, and uh, you'll visit his awesome site. We talk about that, of course, as well. So, Spotlight product. This one's going to be a little bit different for episode six. Many of you know, with your Lincoln Continentals, you have challenges with the window switches. There are various vendors out there, some really good ones. 
that will rebuild the window switches. The earlier year Lincolns, for the most part, those can be rebuilt. What I would tell you is, if you have any interest in having those rebuilt for the best price around, great uh, guaranteed service, you want to hit up Blair Farmer at Lincoln Continental Services. Now, the best way to get a hold of Blair is LincolnMan57.BF, just like Blair Farmer, at gmail.com. So that's LincolnMan57.BF, which stands for Blair Farmer, at gmail.com. Blair's a great guy. Uh, What he asks is that if you send him an email, he's usually really busy during the day working on various cars. Uh, If you send him an email letting him know what you're looking for, he will get back to you as soon as he can, and he'll give you a quote and give you a little bit of insight and possibly uh, call you if need be. So hit Blair Farmer up, Lincoln Continental Services. You will hear John mention Blair's name. We talk about Blair a little bit. Uh, Their history goes back a very long time, and uh, Blair is a great guy. He's in the Clearwater area, and uh, for anyone that's been around Lincoln's a long time, you know his name. Uh, He's a great guy, and he could take care of uh, what you're looking for. It's not just window switches, but that's what I wanted to highlight. Uh, If you need other things other than parts, he uh, he doesn't really do, you know, dealing shipping parts out. But if you need a service done or something rebuilt, hit Blair Farmer up. So I had a little bit of craziness today. I uh, have worked in the cell phone industry for a little bit, you know, a little over 20 years, give or take 21, 22. And I was uh, doing a few things after work and I put my phone down on the kitchen table, walk over to the phone and I was like, okay, I'll put some music on, try to get a few things done and the phone just would not turn on. So anybody that knows if you have an iPhone, you, you run into those challenges where, okay, yeah, it's dead. It takes, you know, three, four or five minutes, you plug it in whatever. I knew something was up because I had charged the phone pretty much all day. I had worked uh, from home today and uh, it was plugged in all day. So I'm like, oh boy, try the alternate reset, try to get the thing to power on, mess around with it for 30 minutes. I'm like, of all people, I'm always on my phone seemingly doing a little bit better job trying to put it down. But uh, maybe it's an omen because I can't get the phone to turn on. So you guys know if you have an iPhone, uh, you love it. For those that are Android users, you guys love your Androids for the most part. So I had to schedule an appointment with Apple, and I'll be going there to hopefully get that thing swapped out. Real pain in the you-know-what, but uh, it is what it is, and um, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Hopefully, I'll get it swapped out, or they'll fix it, and uh, I can be on my way. It really stinks because that's the primary way that I post to Instagram. I do use some other tools. Uh, however, that is the uh, be the primary way. Now, I think I mentioned on maybe the last episode that I'm looking on each of these episodes to highlight a movie that features uh, a 60s Lincoln Continental. And there's a movie, one that popped in mind today, is a movie called In Time. And uh, it's from 2011, and uh, it actually stars Justin Timberlake. A very cool movie, uh, real... You know, just just a movie you you know probably want to watch and you know you enjoy it. Now, I spotted in watching the movie. I think there's there's definitely a limo. I think there's a couple limos in it where they're all shaved up, uh, the door handles and everything. Although I'm not a fan of that on these cars, uh, the the limos looked pretty cool. But I do know that there's a '61 in the movie. Uh, there's a '64. There's a '65. 
So there are several different Lincolns throughout, and I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, so if you haven't checked out the movie, I don't know that it's on Netflix, but uh, it is worth watching. I think there's a 63 as well, so it's pretty cool to see that many Lincolns, and I believe they're all black in the movie. Imagine that. People love their black Lincolns. So much so that Tony Boss Bolin started a hashtag, not a black Lincoln. So that's kind of funny. But if you're on Instagram or uh, if you just Google hashtag, which is the pound sign, right? Not a black Lincoln. You'll see all the photos that we've tagged. I know Felix, uh, he's tagged a couple people and stuff too. So uh, pretty cool to see those hashtags take off uh, when we come up with those uh, little funny things. Okay. I will remind everyone, thelincolnforum.net. Great people. Now, I know some people are like, ah, you know, these guys are purists and whatnot. I've never had a challenge with anyone, for the most part, really trying to criticize or cut anyone down. The forum really, in my opinion, has been very quiet the last few years. I don't go in every single day. But I'm in there a lot, and uh, like I just clicked on convertibles, 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 which is that's the title of the section. And like the last comment was on February 26th, talking about a convertible 62 hardtop deck lid. You know, it's just one of those things where a lot of people have moved to the social media aspect. What's important though is if you're looking to document your build or you're looking to find out information. You have to learn to use the search in there because you will find tons of stuff. Now, I may have mentioned before, I totally get that on Facebook, there's the different groups, including our Lincoln Addict podcast or Lincoln Addict group. Uh, There's a few others, and you can search in those groups on the computer. I don't think you can on the phone, if memory serves me correct. But when you're in the Lincoln forum, you can search, and that search works really, really well. I recently... well. Not recently, but maybe about six or eight months ago when I was driving my 64, I had an issue where like basically the dash, the whole, you know, main dash was just getting so hot. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I know a lot of stuff about Lincolns, but I don't know everything. So I was kind of like, man, is is this the heater core valve? You know, what, what could this be? And sure enough, I used a couple key words in the Lincoln forum And I landed on one thread where somebody said they had the exact same issue. And the whole main bezel for the 64, 65 dashes, the guy's like, man, you put your hand on it and it's like so freaking hot. That was the same issue that I was having. So I was able to diagnose and the guy said, boom, here's a heater core valve. And he had purchased like more of a universal one. Surprisingly, I think he said he had gotten it on eBay for a pretty cheap rate, but I went over to um, you know one of the the key vendors, purchased it, and was able to uh, you know compare that versus the original one. And I think if I remember correctly, those heater core valves. I talked to Blair Farmer about it. I think they rust out on the inside, so it was essentially like the heater was on. I'm like, damn, this freaking heater's working good. But in Florida, I definitely don't want that, especially during the spring or really any time of year. But uh, what I would just tell you is LincolnForum.net. Uh, sign up for a free account and uh, get searching away. I even have a saved folder in my uh, browser and uh, I bookmark all kinds of stuff. And if you have, like for instance, I use Safari browser. Uh, The other like little tip that I will tell everyone is when you go to uh, bookmark, add bookmark, and you select what folder it is or what folder you want to save it in, 
you can retitle the title of that, and you can also add a description. So let's say it was something about you know bucket seats or interior or something like that. You can actually add a description so that later on when you go into your favorites, you can search, and uh, it makes it really, really simple. Like if you go to show bookmarks, you can pull down at least on the on the Mac. I think you can on the iPhone too, and then you can search. So if I type in you know uh, interior, it's going to pull up any of my favorites that talk about interior. So boom, here's one uh, that I had saved, 1964 Continental Gallery. Nice interior, crazy looking, but uh, you know, so boom. And that's the key, man. Organization, especially with these cars, whether you're doing a light restoration or you're looking to fix an issue for a car, you just basically save the stuff and you can easily refer back to it. But uh, that's my tech tip for this episode. Okay, so next, a few more updates. Project Smugglers Blues. If you check that hashtag on Instagram or uh, Facebook or Google it, it's the uh, pound sign. Project Smugglers with an S, Blues. May have mentioned that ties into the the Glenn Fry song my dad and I loved. And uh, right around the Miami Vice era. Great song. And uh, my car's blue, triple blue. And of course, naturally, my dad and I loved music. Rest in peace to my pops. And uh, boom, that's what we named it. So I did make some progress. I think on the last episode, I talked a good bit because I had, you know, went a couple... Man, a couple months before uh, I had recorded new audio. So since then, I made some pretty big strides. But man, I, I set the bar high for trying to get stuff done. And you know, I have a list. So my good friend Daniel Smith at Smithworks, what uh, I had been talking to him a little while to either drop the car at his at his place, and he said, "Hey Jay, I could come over to your place if you want to do it that way." And I said, "Hey, this would work good for me." So essentially what we did was I wasn't looking, I'm not looking to build a full-blown show car. I've done that kind of stuff with trucks, and I'm looking for a car that is really clean, that is really well put together, you know, power-coated most of everything, and that's something that's going to last. So he came over. I had cleaned the aprons in the uh, engine bay, and they were... You know, I had taken for the most part all the wiring off, and I had cleaned everything, degreased. I had done the poor fifteen on the lower subframe part, and it was looking damn good. So what we ended up doing was, the, you know, when he confirmed and said, "Hey, I'm coming over on a Saturday," I pulled the car out from my carport and set up the GoPro. So if you're following us on YouTube, you'll see that quick a uh, couple, maybe a couple videos I put together. I essentially re-pulled down the wiring because I had kind of tucked it back up just to kind of keep it where it was originally at. And I, you know, I'm a type of person like when I have things apart, like I try to kind of keep it the way it was, uh, or I bag and tag everything, of course. So I went to say, I went ahead and said, "Listen, he's coming." Pulled down all the wiring to the middle of the engine bay. I re-washed everything, cleaned it up real good, and the deal was that he was going to come and basically prep it, and that he was going to spray it. So, again, I wasn't going for, you know, a museum quality. And uh, what Daniel did was fantastic. You know, I had given him the paint code, which via a simple Google search, I had already saved it, was able to provide that to him. And then uh, he prepped it all, taped everything really, really nice. And then he painted from that subframe area all the way up. So the aprons look great. Uh, You know, once the powder-coated parts get back in there and the engine's back in, 
it'll be really nice and presentable when the hood opens. Boom, factory paint on both sides. It's clear-coated as well. So I would uh, tell anyone that if you have the opportunity and the motor's out, definitely take the time, clean stuff up, especially that front that front cross member. I think it's real nasty and gritty from all of the just the oils and, and stuff like that. So I had pretty much did everything on my own without a pressure washer. So I had pretty good pressure in just a regular hose, and I had cleaned that stuff damn good over the course of a couple months. You know, I do a little bit, let it sit, you know, do a little bit. And before you know it, um, man, it looks damn good. So super excited about it. Thanks. You could follow Daniel at SmithWorks. That's S-M-I-T-H. W-O-R-K-X. If you're into custom paint as well, he does some really cool helmets. I think he's done a few for the uh, different uh, monster truck drivers, and he's built a couple bikes or painted a couple bikes for some prominent people. So very cool stuff what he does, but he really helped me out, and that's like one thing off the list so that once the motor comes back and the trans, I can uh, you know kind of say confidently that, boom, I'm ready to go. So uh, big stuff there. And then... I mentioned the motor. So the motor basically had, it can't really just be easily honed out. So it has a couple little grooves in the cylinder wall. So the master engine builder that uh, Tony's dad is, he basically said, look, man, let's send it out to a machine shop, get them to punch it out a hair. Uh, Let's see what they can do. And uh, we'll go from there. So we dropped it off in a machine shop. The machine shop was like, Hey, yeah, we can do this. And then when they got it, they ended up saying, no, they can't, right? They can't uh, do it with that type of block. And some of you guys know about these motors. Like, you have to have the special stuff to do it. Well, the good thing was the guy said, well, hey, I can hot tank it for you. In this area, I don't know of a lot of machine shops. Like, some have closed. So having a hot tank, which the Napa machine shop that closed, they used to have one, and it's awesome because, man, they put that thing in that chemical bath, and uh, that motor, I cannot wait to cannot wait to see it and take photos. Uh, it was so filthy. So now it's going to be all clean. The heads are clean, and then that way, uh, once we get this thing, you know, bored out a little bit, I will order the master rebuild kit that comes with pistons, the cam, everything, and it's just going to be a fresh motor. So a lot more to come on that. Looking forward to it. I may have mentioned recently I am focused on the engine bay, so I really want to get all that back together have a small batch of powder coat that's left over at the powder coat place. Once I get that, I can start bolting those pieces back on. Many of you guys know, I know at least in the 64, 65, the firewall has that, it's like a metal piece that goes the full length of the firewall. And it's right above the transmission. And that thing was coated with some sort of like rubber coating. Well, that thing, the wires sit in it that cross over the engine bay, and that thing gets really nasty, all of... uh, the plastic was brittle and it was peeling off. And I had wanted to clean all that. And I had painted that lower section of the firewall with the poor 15. So like that piece is getting powder coated. So that's going to be nice with that mini text or mini texture. And, you know, once I start putting those pieces back in there, which I've already kind of started doing, it's going to look really good. And then boom, I'll finesse, as my friends like to say, we'll finesse the motor and trans back in and it's going to be pretty awesome. So, Much more to come. Project Smugglers Blues. Appreciate you guys listening to that. And uh, thanks for those that follow. If you're on Instagram, you can follow the hashtag. So if you type in Project Smugglers Blues, and uh, you can actually click follow on any hashtag, believe it or not, 
And if you follow that one, you will be kept up to date with uh, the various posts that I make, whether it be on my personal Instagram or the Lincoln Addict Instagram. Last couple things I will say, uh, I mentioned on the last episode, Lincoln's for sale. So Tony Boss Bolin, he has a, a fixable 62 convertible for a damn good price. Now, people always hit me up and they're like, hey, I want a vert. When you say that, that's like saying needle on a haystack because it's like, what's the price point? How nice do you want it? So on and so forth. What I'll tell you is this car was painted and it was left outside because maybe the guy didn't have the money. And the car has a couple rust spots in it, right? And they're, you know, they're, they're pretty good rust spots. But this car, as you'll hear that John Cashman mentions later, is one of those that's a fixable car. So these cars are getting harder to find. When you do find them, a lot of times they're rotted out. Uh, Tony will be taking some photos. The car is taken apart, and all of the parts are inside the car, except for the motor and trans. If you're interested, hit me up or hit up at Boss Bolin, B-O-S-S-B-O-L-I-N on Instagram. Let them know that uh, Lincoln Addict sent you. That's my homie. And you can either pick up a 462 or 430 to put it in it. Those motors are getting easier to find because people are doing swaps like No Tomorrow, whether it be LS Swap or Coyote, or you can go that route and swap it yourself. So, again, um, you know, it does have a few pieces that are going to need to be fixed, but someone that's a good metal worker could easily fix these items uh, on the car, these, these areas, and then boom, you have a nice car. So, with that being said, Episode 7, that is in the works. I will, uh, I'm not ready to announce who the guest will be yet, so I'm kind of going back and forth uh, to see who I can nail down in terms of that audio. But I'll be on a cruise, seven-day cruise for about a week. I'm going to come back, work on my Lincoln a little bit, and uh, really just try to get the pedal stomped into April so that I can get this car back together and move on to the top and some of the other things i got to work on. Big ups. Thank you so much, John Cashman. I hope you guys, ladies, that you uh, you guys out there and ladies, that you really enjoyed this interview. John is a great guy, and um, he stays on the rise, as we always say. Thank you, John. Enjoy. You guys have a great week. ODB, Lincoln Addict, we out. <laughs>
Well, I've, I've made a living off the uh, classic Lincolns, mostly of the 60s and 70s now for 39 years. It's hard to believe I've had a whole career working with these cars. And uh, pretty much anymore, I specialize in the electrical work on the four-door convertibles that they made 1961 to 1967. Got it. So, you know, a lot of guys know your name. They're like, oh, John Cashman. And, you know, it's a cool name, by the way. Tough name to live up to, Cashman. I know, right? So, you know, we're going to definitely, I'm excited to hear about the cars. I did want to give you an opportunity, though, just to kind of, for the listeners, maybe just a little bit about you uh, before we talk about the convertibles and whatnot. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you the five-minute version here of a history of me and uh, sort of how I got into this. I was always a gearhead. I always enjoyed mechanical stuff when I was a kid before I even could drive. I played with auto parts and took things apart, attempted to put them back together, but the handwriting was on the wall when I was a kid because I was definitely uh, playing around in the Army-Navy surplus yards and playing with junk cars, getting them to run, playing with auto parts. My first car was a 64 Ford Galaxy with a 289. And uh, I had a few parts cars to keep it going, and that led to uh, some other Fords of the era and so forth. But when I was in my early 20s, I got a 67 Lincoln sedan, and I thought that was the cat's meow. <laughs> Loved it. And in those days, parts cars were a dime a dozen. Remember, this is the later 70s and early 80s. And uh, in those days, I, uh, I hooked up with Chris Dunn, who now owns Lincoln Land. And also Blair Farmer, who I shared a shop with in Tampa in the uh, in the 80s. And we were kind of the rat pack of Florida. It was me, Chris Dunn, Blair Farmer, and a fellow named Doug Shute. Doug Shute is no longer with us. But, of course, Blair Farmer and Chris Dunn are going strong, and so am I. And uh, I kind of fell into Lincoln's parts cars were readily available. And, and I went to swap meets with Lincoln parts. I was the only one there with Lincoln parts. And uh, I, I kind of fit quickly figured out that nobody else was doing these. And I got more parts cars and learned a lot by actually hands-on experience working on them. Mm -hmm. The best way to learn about a, a car is to take apart a parts car for parts. You learn how it's put together. And uh, luckily in those days, I had access to property in the country. So hoarding old Lincolns was not a problem. And uh, <laughs> once, once I got them stripped down for parts, the, uh, the Hulks went to the crusher for scrap metal. And oftentimes they would bring, uh, you know, as much money as I paid for the whole car after I had stripped it. Mm -hmm. So uh, parts cars led to more parts cars. And I learned by doing by working on them. I had a shop in Fort Lauderdale for a while in the uh, in the 80s and also a shop in Tampa with Blair Farmer. And uh, in the 80s, I started making road trips to the West Coast to get the nice rust-free Western sheet metal, nice rust-free Western cars. And uh, my road trips got longer and longer, and then I started doing repair work as I traveled. Okay. And I made frequent trips, you know, throughout the country working on these cars. I went to the Carlisle and Hershey car shows that are the big swap meets back east, selling parts at those venues. And, uh, you know, I quickly realized that Lincoln's was a niche business. Not too many people knew them, understood them. And these were the days before they really took off in popularity. I think about 10 years ago when the show Entourage aired on HBO, that really put them on the map. Mm -hmm. And they've been on their eyes ever since then. <laughs> I love it, John. So 
many of you guys know, you can go to convertible Lincolns with an S dot com. And John's got a beautiful website. It's obviously been uh, even enhanced over the years. I think what you do, John, and you kind of laid the foundation how you traveled back and forth across the U.S., that kind of led to this business that you have now, which I think is awesome. You offer on-site repairs. Uh, What I notice on Instagram is primarily a lot of, as you mentioned, the electrical with the windows and the tops. What would you say is the most challenging part of working on these cars today? Well, mostly what I do is the convertible top and power window repair. That is the magic of the car. When those systems work and work properly, it adds about seven grand of value to the car. Challenges can be highly customized cars, highly modified cars that, you know, they don't think serviceability when they do a lot of modifications to the car. And that makes things inaccessible for me. Okay. The more stock they are, the easier it is to, you know, to work on them. And a lot of the cars these days, uh, you know, are yesterday's parts cars with the price of them going up, up, up. Nobody's nobody's uh, sending a car to the scrapyard as a parts car. They're fixing it. So a lot of the cars are, you know, need everything that I'm working on these days. I get a uh, mostly anymore. I'm focusing on the Southern California area. I make a trip back east to Florida about once a year. Mm-hmm. And I work on cars across the country, mainly on the I-10 and I-20 corridors. Yeah, and you know we've seen your travels. You can follow John on Instagram, and uh, John, what what I think is cool as well is although you know you offer a great service for you know arguably a, a fantastic uh, price. You know you come to the owners' homes and you know you you kind of teach them as you go. I've seen some of the different testimonials, if you will, but I kind of wanted to also highlight the fact that. You've mentioned quite some time on the Lincoln Forum that, hey, you know, you're willing to, to lend someone a little bit of advice, right? So it's a little bit different than other vendors out there where if someone did call you and maybe they were stuck, you kind of sometimes will lead them through their problem or that might even lead to a sale if you've got a part that you can service for them. Right. I've always been famous for free tech advice always. Just today I had two calls. They were over a half an hour per call walking people through problems over the phone. So I'm always happy to share my 39 years experience with people over the phone. I call it free tech advice. Uh Then when I actually show up and work on a car at somebody's home or shop or wherever, I insist that they watch and they help. Yes. I'm 63 years old. I might need them to hold a window or hand me something or whatever. And I'm usually doing these cars in one day or one and a half days, maybe two days tops. So they speed me up by, by, by helping me. And also they learn about the car because I explain what I'm doing. I show them what I'm doing, explain everything. I demystify it somewhat. It's what I call school for Lincoln owners when I work on these vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. And we've even seen where a few of the guys, like the whole, you've been open for them to take a video of some of the things that you've been doing. There's some videos that I've seen on YouTube, and I think that's pretty cool, man. A lot of those videos, I didn't even know they were videoing me. And if I'd known they were videoing me, I'd have been more, a lot more professional and maybe comb my hair what I got left and uh, made it more professional. But, then, you know, I was just talking away. So it is what it is. And uh, stay tuned for more professional uh, 
stuff uh, on uh, on YouTube and also on my website. I just had my IT guy put a store on there. So I'm putting a lot of parts on my website, convertiblelincolns.com. Keep an eye on that for more more additions upcoming. Awesome, man. We definitely will. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, so 61 through 67 Lincoln Convertibles, like what is maybe something that owners should do related to the tops, you know, besides contacting you for a service, you know, are there any little things that people should be doing on their own to like try to maintain if they have a well-working car? Yes. The secret of these cars is what I call preventative maintenance. You want to fix things and maintain things before they break. And this varies from year to year, but just some overview things as far as preventative maintenance goes is uh, you don't want to store the top down. If you have the top down, it shouldn't stay down for more than a week. It'll take a set to it. Okay. So store the car with the top up. These Lincolns don't like moisture. And back east where it rains all the time, you want to keep rain away from the car. The car is all leaking. Moisture, humidity is the car's number one enemy. Having what's called an emergency kit in the glove compartment is also a good idea. That consists of a convertible top manual, some basic tools, a 12-volt test light, a jump wire, and, of course, my phone number. That way, if the top does act up or get in a jam, you've got a basic emergency kit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to maintain the battery. A lot of top problems are due to an insufficiently charged battery or a battery that's half bad. I find battery life in Lincoln convertibles to be about two years. So you want to make sure the battery is good and also make sure the chassis ground as well as the engine block ground is good. A lot of times people run the negative cable just to the engine block and then the chassis of the car doesn't have a good solid ground. So good grounds, good maintained batteries, fully charged. Uh, The 60s Lincoln should have a 27F series battery in there clean connections you know basic basic mechanical stuff is uh, a secret to it working right now year specific things there are some things from year to year to maintain like such as the 66 and 67 convertibles in the convertible top frame there's some bolts in there that will loosen up with normal operation and they should be checked periodically like once a year and make sure they're tight Mm -hmm. and that the frame is adjusted right There's some lubrication points in the top frame in 66 and 67. Connections on the relays is a maintenance area. A lot of times the relays get blamed for being bad when, in fact, it's the connector that connects on the top of it, especially in 63 to 65. They embedded the spade connectors in rubber. Mm-hmm. And many times they're not making a solid connection on the prong of the relay. They need to be trimmed back and uh, tightened and cleaned up. Many a failure has been the connections on the uh, on the relays. And the adjustment of the limit switches. If a limit switch gets out of adjustment by even, a, say, 30 thousandths of an inch, it might not go to the next sequence or it may malfunction. So, you know, just ba- basic maintenance. Uh, having a convertible top manual in the car at all times is a must. Yeah, got it. And I remember when I met you recently, you know, you had talked about, and maybe it was on a phone conversation, around when you take out the rear seat, you know, to your point where you have a lot of those relays at, you sometimes even uh, suggest that someone take a little knife, right, and cut around because some of that, the rubber, I think it is, it kind of hangs down a little too long, doesn't it? Well, what they did in uh, 61 to 65 was they embedded 
a spade connector, and it wasn't a very good design at all. They embedded it in very soft, flexible rubber. So if that's just plugged on the relay, you don't know if the relay is making a good solid tight connection or going backside of the connector. So I do what's called giving them a haircut. I trim the rubber away from the spade connector. I bite them together with a pair of pliers. I put my glasses on so I make sure it gets a good solid tight connection on each and every relay. And this also applies to the automatic rear window relays, which is on the panel of eight behind the rear seat. Got it. Got it. When I, when I work on a car, I label those relays with my stickers that I had printed up. So when I'm not doing this anymore, the next guy will know what all the relays do. I also show people how to jump the convertible top relays behind the rear seat. Uh, that's the deck unlock and deck open relays. Mm-hmm. They were put there in case the thing won't open up due to a limit switch malfunction. I show owners how to jump them and I label them. Hopefully they'll never have to do it, but it's a Lincoln, so I show them how to do it. Living that Lincoln life. Now, before I ask the next question, I do have one of my good friends here. You've met him before, Tony Boss Bolin. He just wanted to say hello. What's up, Boss Bolin? Hey, how you doing, Cashman? Tony, how you doing? Good to, good to say hi to you. I hear you got a new uh, uh, 58 Lincoln. I love that 58. I love working on them, and I love driving them more than I do love working on them. You but, know, that's a beautiful, beautiful car, and I was tempted to buy that car uh, from Chris when I saw it. It was uh, really, a, really a nice car. Yes, it really is. It's very enjoyable. The chrome is impeccable on it. Uh, I mean, it, it just floats down the road. And we have everything working on it now correctly, as it should. And it's- nice, nice. The 50s, of course, are in a whole different world than the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're yeah. a completely that- different animal. For sure. Everybody says to me, they say, oh, I bet you got a nice Lincoln. Well, I've been Lincolnless for uh, for years. <laughs> I got I got plenty of toys, but uh, that just changed yesterday. As a matter of fact, I bought a beautiful '66 Lincoln Coupe. Oh, wow. did you? Nice. Yes, yeah. uh, that was of course the first year for the coupe, and I got a uh, absolutely showroom new one. Uh, I couldn't say no to it, and it was out here in uh, the Palm Springs area where it's lived all its life, and it's absolutely all original, and it's too nice to drive. Oh, really very nice i love the coupes i just sold my coupe i had a matching one to uh chris dunn's but of course chris dunn's is very very nice as well his 68 yes yes what year was yours it was a 68 the same one as his very beautiful okay was that a 462 or a 460 i had the 460 in mine i just okay, sold that it. would be a late one. yeah and and tony's had the rare on for the brake lights he had the ones from pennsylvania i think where um they didn't have the what the housings tony Metal, uh, the metal cages for Pen- in Pennsylvania. Yes, those were those were Pennsylvania only. The DOT in Pennsylvania said there wasn't enough taillight area in a '68 Lincoln with the conventional ribs in the taillight. So Ford Motor had a special taillight, Pennsylvania only, that had no ribs in it. Yeah, interesting. Very correct. But it, um, on a good note, though, I do enjoy working on these cars and following in um, you, Chris Dunn, and. Uh, Blair's footsteps, or as I should say, your flip-flop steps. <laughs> the flip-flop Right, stuff. absolutely. You, that's all I wear is uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Kino, Kino sandals from, from Key West. That's right. Well, and, and enjoy your evening, Cashman. It was good talking to you. Thank you, thank you. Good hey. talking to you. Hey, thanks, Tony. Yeah, we're we're out there working on a couple cars earlier. But um, so I, I have to ask, right, 
over the past couple of years, I've seen, you know, we've seen different write-ups. We'll talk a little bit about Jay Leno's Garage, but I was really impressed with the Wall Street Journal write-up. Uh, and this, you know, featured uh, a mom uh, with a beautiful 66 Lincoln. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about some of that media exposure? Because I don't think some folks even know about even the older, I think it was Wall Street Journal article about yourself. Right. Well, I had a, uh, a write-up in the New York Times uh, about five years ago. I was working on a 62 Lincoln in Seattle, and the, uh, the customer said, uh, would I mind if his neighbor came over? He was a freelance writer. Ah. And I said, well, I'm here to fix your car. I'm busy. I was knee-deep in relays, hydraulics, limit switches, and so forth. And I said, as long as I can work on your car and talk at the same time, which I did, for about three hours, and the next thing I know, it was in the New York Times. Apparently, these freelance writers uh, submit articles to newspapers, and if they if the newspaper likes it, then they pick up on it. So that was in the New York Times. Okay. The Wall Street Journal article that was ju- just last uh, November, and that was a uh, a very nice client in the Scottsdale, Arizona area with a baby blue '66 uh, Lincoln convertible. If you go online to uh, Wall Street Journal slash Lincoln Continental, you should be able to uh, access that article. And I've had some other TV uh, press with an uh, interview for American RV or after I had the uh, Lincoln Lincoln Ranch in Central Florida for eight years. That was my property in Central Florida near Plant City. Uh, I went mobile for 12 years in a uh, custom 42-foot motor coach doing on-site electrical work on these Lincolns all over the USA. And I was picked up by American RVer because they were doing a story on unique businesses that people do as they roam around in RVs. Oh, nice. Uh, of course, I had a unique niche of fixing Lincoln convertibles as I roamed around in my Dynamax Grand Sport motorhome. <laughs> I went everywhere about 10 times, and I decided that uh, Southern California was the best place to semi-retire to, and that's why I landed here in Palm Springs, California. Ah, okay. Now, once, once a year, I have to get back to my old home base of Florida and get warm water, visit friends, work on cars back there, and so forth. So look for look for me in the Florida area about once a year. I also have an older brother up in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which I need to visit. So I'm still traveling, just not full time. And the highest concentration of classic Lincolns is Southern California. I really have all the cars I can handle in L.A., San Diego, Vegas, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Lots of them out here yeah and they're like as you mentioned earlier they're basically really nice cars they don't have you know a lot of moisture that's destroyed them over the years so it makes it a little bit easier to work on those yeah however anymore as time goes by a lot of the rust-free western california cars have shipped been shipped back east and a lot of the rust bucket cars from the salt belt states have been shipped to california <laughs> yeah. so it's so like a hodgepodge I, yes yes i look at the dso on the car of course dso 52 is uh, la and 53 is oakland those are the those are the true california cars and uh they've as i say round and round and round they go yeah definitely well before we ask the next question i did want to ask a little bit about now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think you may have talked about this in maybe interviews I've seen in the past, but 61 through 63, they use a different kind of fluid, right? For the, And that's part of the service that you offer. When someone has you go through their Lincoln, do you upgrade it to what the ATF with the new lines and everything? Yes. The 61 to 63 Lincoln 
like the 50s Lincolns, originally had brake fluid in that convertible top system. The reason they did brake fluid in the convertible top system in those older cars was the the hydraulic lines that they had back in the day were not compatible with petroleum products. Ah. So they used brake fluid. Now, brake fluid after 50 plus years looks like mud. It's hydroscopic, attracting moisture. The cylinders will corrode from the inside out. They'll appear okay, but the minute you pressurize them, they'll blow apart. They'll bypass internally. I don't think we even need to talk about a 55-year-old hose. Right. So I do what's called the hydraulic upgrade on these cars. If it hasn't already been done, most of them have been done. But if they're barn fresh, they probably got the original stuff on them. And I do what's called the hydraulic upgrade. That's all new cylinders, all new lines, new heavy-duty high-volume pump, which puts out 450 PSI, and it's an exact duplicate of what the car had when it was new, and labor, and that job is all-inclusive, parts and labor, at $2,500. Got it. Then, of course, the system is filled with fresh automatic transmission fluid, type F. And while we're on the subject of type F automatic transmission fluid, let me add that that's what you want to use in the power steering system of any 60s Lincoln. A lot of people make the mistake of putting in a product called power steering fluid in the power steering system of these vintage Lincolns. And they, of course, have the crankshaft mounted power steering pump on the front of the engine. This is important to use the proper fluid, which is type F automatic transmission fluid. If you suspect you have a mix in there, it's a good idea to flush the system and fill it with fresh type F automatic transmission fluid. That's your tip of the day. Yes, and you have uh, really reinforced that. I think when I had my pump, that was uh, one of the first things I had Tim Neal and, and Blair help with. They had given me some of the instructions that were left over, I think, that you had made copies of. And, of course, that was from John Cashman because you were really big on, hey, once you uh, re- rebuild it, now you've got to uh, prime it, right? You know, you got to fill the right fluid, so on and so forth. Yes, and don't... Don't turn the steering wheel on a Lincoln with the car sitting still. It's easy to do because, of course, it's power steering. But when you're sitting still, it puts undue stress on that front end. You don't want to turn that wheel too much without the car rolling a little bit. And if you've done work on a power steering system, put a floor jack under it and raise it up to take the weight of the car off the front end if you're turning the wheel left to right, left to right. Yeah, that's a good point. Really is. That, that way you're not stressing the, the components of the front end and the power steering pump. Awesome. Now, I was going to also bring up that recently, uh, Tony and I, we had made a trip up to Jim Wallace's, right? The, the, the famous Jim Wallace. and He is the best with interiors, convertible tops, leather, and trunk upholstery. He is the go-to man for a show-correct product. Yeah, and he was really nice. He showed us around. I'd love to have him on. He said he'd love to come on as a guest. And what I think is important, too, is, uh, you know, Tony and I were talking earlier, and we talked about, like, the top harness, right? I mean, how key is that? If you're going to do a new top, right, and you're going to pay for the material, and you're going to pay for the labor to install it, it's so key to spend the few hundred dollars, right, John, to do all of the wiring in the top. Okay, that's a must-do. If a top is replaced, you must replace the original wires that run through the top frame. The main thing here is above the number three bow. When that top folds going down and coming up, that wire is bending at a 90-degree angle. Well, 50 years of this, the wires are nearly broken. 
they're petrified, and the time to put a new harness in a convertible top is when it's replaced because the wires are actually sewing in the pad. I uh, hate working on a car that has had a, had a top replaced on it, but they did not replace the wires that run through the top frame. And then six months later, a wire breaks, and the only way I can access it is to take my razor and put a slit in their new pads. So always put in new wiring harnesses in a convertible top frame. There's one on the left side and one on the right side. There's three different variations to them depending on the year. And also, of course, put in new tacking strips and have a competent installer to putting that top on because you don't want a wire stapled to ground or a wire stapled to another wire because then it will, of course, go crazy. Yeah, and talking to our friends over at Lincoln Land, they've mentioned several times getting calls from folks that had recently put a new top on the car or they'll kind of ask their fact-finding questions only to find out that maybe it was an incompetent shop and they put a staple through the wire, to your point, and uh, causes a little bit of havoc. I have to fix them all the time, and the customer says it worked perfectly before it went to Acme Top Shop. And after <laughs> Acme Top Shop put a top on it, it's going haywire, it's out of sequence, I can't fix it. And I said, well, we're going to look for a staple. <laughs> and then, wow. So let me ask you this. I mean, you've you, we've kind of talked a couple times, and would you ever have thought – back in the 60s that these cars all these years later and do you think that the Ford engineers even thought that these cars would still be around on the road you know functioning and being loved by so many people worldwide uh, I didn't really think about it it all just kind of <laughs> happened now I went through the Wixom assembly plant on three different occasions uh, the first time in the 80s the next time in the 90s and the last time around 2004 of course that factory where all the Lincolns and Thunderbirds were built closed in 2007 uh, but an engineer way back in the day told me that these cars were engineered for 10 years or 100,000 miles. And ah. here we are 50 plus years later keeping them going. <laughs> and knowledgeable people are uh, far and few between on these cars. It's not a Mustang or Camaro that you can build from a catalog and anybody can fix it. The Lincolns are in a class by themselves. And if there's one piece of advice I could give your listeners, it would be to have somebody knowledgeable work on the car. Don't let amateurs work on it, especially on the electrical system, because they will make it worse. I have to correct all the time what... Uh, Somebody else has attempted to fix and uh, not done it right. Now, I've got the advantage of having a Suburban, which is my service truck. It weighs 9,000 pounds. 3,000 of that is everything a Lincoln convertible can need when I pull up on location to fix it. All the relays, electrics, pumps, motors, hydraulics, limit switches, it's in my service truck. So if I need a part, I just can grab it. Anybody else is going to be shooting in the dark, wondering what went bad, having to order things, and so forth. So even though I'm expensive, I'm really a bargain because I fix the whole thing in one day. Educate the owner all about the car and uh, and fix it. Uh, I can't reinvent the car, but I do fix it as uh, better than new, so it's working. Yeah, and I see that you knock a lot of jobs out, and it amazes me how you're just like one of the sayings I always – mentioned as like on to the next one and that's kind of like your business is like boom do what I got to do and then move on and I also thought it would be important to hit upon 
the windows, right? Because the windows are complicated and you've hit on them a little bit. But, you know, I've heard over the years that it's it's probably better not to roll the window maybe all the way up, stop a little bit short to prevent, um, you know, some of the challenges that, that come about from the windows. But what are your comments on maybe some preventive maintenance that folks can use on their uh, 61s and 67s? Well, you want to grease and lubricate the window tracks and channels. This is especially important on a 64 to 67. Just good old wheel bearing grease. Put it on your finger and load it up in the tracks, channels, everywhere it moves. After all, if it's lubed up, it's going to be, you know, moving faster. The 65 window motors are the most problematic. They were used one year only, and they're the ones that jam. You were talking about, you know, letting go of the switch a hundredth of a second before the window reaches the top or the bottom. And that's because the 65 window motor is very prone to jamming due to an engineering defect in them. What I do with 65s, if the customers want them fixed and fixed right once and for all, I retrofit those cars to the 64 window and gearhead, which was a different design, uh, pretty bulletproof. And uh, I'm getting low on them because I'm doing that on so many 65s that I, uh, I'm getting low on the 64 motors and gearheads. Uh, the 66 window motors were used 66 to 1989. They're what's known as the permanent magnet reverse polarity ford motor they're pretty readily available the motors don't go bad so much as the gears the gears in 65 and up was a planned obsolescence design i met the engineer that designed that gear years ago and it has three little nylon inserts in it which are designed to disintegrate so the ford dealer could sell you a new gear for 42 dollars and get an hour labor to change it they made millions on this and any of those gears need to go in the trash can. I have a metal replacement that I guarantee for the life of the car. And I won't put anything in a car that's planned obsolescent. Right, right. That's crazy. So I know, and I think there was a comment the other day on Instagram that you may have chimed in on. There are some of the newer part uh, stores, right? The retailers, they sell a newer motor. But I've heard things about like they're pretty much kind of junk, right, overall. Well, take an original window motor, take it apart. Take a Chinese motor, take it apart, side by side on the workbench, you will see what uh, I'm talking about. I trust an original, good used motor over a Chinese motor any day. Yep, I think that sums it up. So talk a little bit about the knife switches, right? So we talked a little bit about the windows in general. We know in the convertibles, the rear windows have what they call the auto drop. I think you hit on this a little bit on the Jay Leno's Garage what are some maintenance things there or anything that owners should know about that piece, John? Oh, uh, we need a couple hours to talk about this, but <laughs> we, we, we don't have that long, so <laughs> I'll try to make this brief. But all the Lincoln convertibles, 61 to 67, had the automatic dropping rear windows. If the rear glass is up and you open the rear door, it should drop four inches. And then when you close the door, it should go back up and then it must shut off. People complain all the time about battery drains. Oh, my battery drains overnight. Usually the battery drains are tied into the rear automatic windows going back up, but not shutting off. They must shut off. And that's an adjustment usually in the current limiter relay, which is the larger relay on the panel of eight behind the rear seat. It doesn't matter where the top is. A lot of people think it's an urban legend that the, the windows drop with the top 
or such as that, but they are totally independent of the top. They don't know where the top is. Top can be up, top can be down, but if that rear glass is up and you open the rear door, it should automatically drop. Now, when you open the rear door on a Lincoln convertible and the window drops to the retracted position, the latch relay or auto-up relay is on, it's energized, and it's getting hotter and hotter. You don't leave it in that position for, say, more than 10 minutes, just long enough to get in and out of the car, because that relay is usually burned out. Mm. I replace it with a solid-state relay, which is a little more forgiving. But if a tip of the day is if you're at a car show or working on the car, don't leave the rear window in the drop position. Roll it all the way down, and then the latch relay is not energized, getting hot, and going to burn out. Nice. Nice John Cashman tip there. We've heard a few things about that. I see that some owners will disconnect their battery, but to your point, you might as well just put the window all the way down. If you put the window all the way down, then it's then it's fine to leave the door open indefinitely. Yeah, because you know a lot of guys with their rear, uh, you know, the rear suicide doors, they like to open them at car shows. So that that's great advice. Oh yeah, to, to show them off, and and it's uh, a cool thing to show them off. Disconnecting the battery, there's nothing wrong with that. Or you can click the latch in two clicks in, and the window will go back up, and then everything sh- is shut down. This is on a '64 up. The 61 to 63 uses the latch actuator switch in the B-pillar between the doors. That's a four-wire plunger switch. When that switch fails, the window will not go up, period. Also remember, a window will not go up with the door open. If everything's working properly, it will only go down. The door has to be shut or the latch clicked in for the car to think the door is closed so the window will go up. I get a call probably once a week about my windows won't go up. And the first thing I tell them is, uh, well, is the door shut firmly and fully? Because it's got to be shut for the window to go up. Remember, Lincolns are not a normal car. They're in a class by themselves. And there's a lot of little quirks like this that uh, owners learn when they have one. Yeah, definitely. So from a knife switch perspective, is that something that you see like other companies coming out with a product? I know that you offer a service to repair that, or do you just like to rebuild the original and kind of, I know you mentioned you switch out the one part. Well, on the knife switch, in a 61 and 62, it was two micro switches made by Texas Instruments Corporation. In 63 and up, the knife switch had two micro switches, also known as reed switches, in a Bakelite housing. I have those rebuilt and and basically put in rebuilt ones of those. There's nothing new available on that. Relays, most of the relays I have are original relays that are a modern relay is inserted in the same case as the original. So it appears as original, plugs in as original, but internally it is up, upgraded. Now the knife switch in a 66 and 67 also has a diode in it. When my man rebuilds those, he puts in two new micro switches and a new diode. So, And also it's important that the knife switch is adjusted properly. So when the window drops, it's about four inches down. And uh, inside the door in a 66 and 67 is a little what's called a matchstick switch. It looks like a matchstick that grounds out in the latch. Often that's dirty, needs to be adjusted. It may be broken. A test on a 66 or 67 is see if the window goes up with the door open. It should not. 
If it does go up with the door open, zero in on the latch actuator switch, which is in the latch assembly inside the door. And all it is is a ground out switch. When that grounds out, it closes the contacts in the uh, retract control relay, which is in the B pillar between the doors. We're talking about a 66 and 67 here. There's a lot of variations in this automatic window business between 61, 62, 63 to 5, and 66, 67. They vary. The components are different between those families. Got it. Yeah, that's a lot of knowledge there. So I certainly appreciate you kind of sharing some of the insight. I knew that it would be intriguing to kind of ask you because you're – the, you're the guy, like Jay Leno said. It's like you, you know, you got a guy that works on a certain thing, and you know, John is that guy. Yeah, you couldn't put me on a new car. I wouldn't know anything about that. I've, <laughs> I've had a specialty with these uh, old Lincolns and uh, done them day in and day out now for 39 years. Definitely. So I got to ask you this: like you travel the U.S., enjoying life on the road, helping others. What's the most rewarding part about your job? Oh, meeting interesting people. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lady Gaga has a 65 Lincoln over in Malibu. I, uh, I've i seen her in concert, but I didn't actually meet her when I worked on her car. Uh, I was just another vendor, you know, and it was just another Lincoln. But I meet a lot of interesting people, a lot of musicians, ball players, people from all walks of life. It's interesting to see these days the younger generation and the millennials getting into these Lincolns and loving them, enjoying them, and you're helping to keep that uh, get that dream going the in the old days it was only the lincoln continental owners club which is the national lcoc and nowadays it's posts on uh, instagram and social media about a get together locally and they'll get uh, they'll get 50 cars down there so the demographics of it's changed but uh, i love to travel i should have been a long distance truck driver i guess if <laughs> if they hadn't made a the most complicated car ever, the Lincoln convertible. But I like like to travel, meet interesting people, go to cool job sites, different scenery, and uh, taking the back roads, seeing the country, and uh, getting uh, in the sights. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? We see you out there, man, hanging out with a lot of the different clubs and stuff. And one of our favorites is the Raddies. We're not a club. We're a the family. And, you, and I think you have one of those shirts now, right, John? Yeah, oh yeah, the Raddies are great. They're they're a great group. They have a get together once a month at a place called Ballast Point Brewing Company out here in Long Beach, California. And not only do they get a good showing of Lincolns, but they have the pinup girls there posing with the Lincolns, and they have professional photographers taking pictures. So yes. it's kind of a win-win for everybody. They've got the the models that are model these gorgeous models. Gorgeous cars, professional photographers, and, of course, Southern California sunshine. So everybody has a great time. I highly recommend anybody out on the West Coast to uh, go on Instagram and check out the Raddies. Yep. And check me out. I'm the Lincoln Man, all lowercase, all run together, the Lincoln Man. Uh, I don't do uh, Facebook, but uh, all I can keep up with is uh, Instagram. Yeah, definitely, John. So let me ask you this. Now, some may know that you lived, as you mentioned, in Florida for a long time, not too far from where Tony and I uh, actually reside now. And then you decided, you know, you kind of landed in Palm Springs and you talked about that a little bit. But what, besides the work aspect of it, right? So you got cars everywhere that you can work on out there. What do you like most about Palm Springs versus maybe some of the other parts in the U.S., specifically Florida that you lived? Well, nowhere's perfect. I've been everywhere. Nowhere's perfect. Florida has hurricanes, bugs, humidity. California's got high taxes, high prices, 
earthquakes. <laughs> Every, everywhere's, everywhere's got its good and bad points. And I still have to get back to Florida uh, once a year, but I like Southern California. There's so much to do out here. If I want the big city, L.A. is two hours west of here. Palm Springs population is about 60,000 people year round. Of course, in the summertime, it's 115 degrees here. So that's when I take off and go either up towards Seattle or back east toward Florida, and uh, or I can go over to Oceanside, Long Beach, uh, the LA area, Pacifica, Santa Barbara, go over to the coast, and it's very pleasant over there in the summertime. California, you can be surfing in the afternoon and snow skiing in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. But I, still, uh, I still miss my old home state of Florida sometimes, and uh, still have a lot of friends back there, and there's quite a concentration of Lincolns in Florida. Yeah, there definitely is, and it was cool to see what you had amassed there. I can't believe when you said it was just eight years that you owned the Lincoln Ranch. I heard a lot of great um, kind of stories of the cool get-togethers that you had. You had a real nice place there, and, um, you know, rest in peace to Tim Neal, who kind of took it over after you did. But uh, I know when you had it, it was it was a cool place, man. I heard a lot about it. Yes, me and Tim Neal go way back, uh, back to the 80s when I made road trips out to – California, he would line me up cars to work on and he'd line me up parts cars and he picked parts for me and Chris at Lincoln Land for years. And uh, I guess it was in uh, about uh, 2004 that he sold his place in Napa, California took over my central Florida property, which was uh, 10 acres uh, at the end of a dead end road near Plant City, Florida. And uh, I sold him that operation house, 400 citrus trees and building after building after building full of Lincoln parts. And that's when I hit the road in my custom 42 foot motor coach and went mobile for 12 years as a full time RVer. But of course, I couldn't totally retire. My niche was uh, the electrical work on the Lincolns as I toured the USA. And I averaged about four cars a week when I was touring in the motorhome. I went everywhere. I'd park in Detroit and do two weeks' worth of cars around there. Then I'd go to Chicago and hit a week's worth of cars around there, St. Louis, on and on and on. And there was Lincolns wherever I went, from the smallest little tiny towns in Kansas and Nebraska to metropolises of New York, Chicago, L.A., Seattle, Miami. Yeah, it's amazing. I love to travel. Yeah, I know. And, and it's amazing stuff. And speaking of travel, what I thought was cool is I think even when you had the RV, you would tow the Suburban. You mentioned the Suburban earlier, but you basically drive this thing, and I was blown away. I got a chance to finally see it. But, man, the 454 Big Block, I mean, you're not scared. You drive this thing everywhere. About how many miles do you have on that thing now, John? On that Suburban, it's a 91 GMC Suburban special ordered with a 454 V8 4L80E automatic transmission, the last of the old square Suburbans, and I got the last one out of the Flint plant. Uh, it was special ordered with the uh, one-ton rear end and special equipment on it. Of course, I've done a lot of upgrades and, and things on it. But the one thing I haven't done on it is open up that 454 engine other than a timing chain. It's had plenty of starters, alternators, water pumps, two transmissions, three paint jobs. But I've never opened up the engine, and the engine now has uh, 450,000 driven miles on it and another 150,000. 450 driven miles, 150,000 towed miles. So the basic chassis is coming up on 600,000. 
The engine is at 450 driven, and I want to see how long it runs for and then probably build that engine and put it back in. But the secret of that is changing your oil every 3,000 miles. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and the other thing that people don't realize is you mentioned earlier with all the parts that you have, that you can basically take care of all the jobs that you need to. Essentially, you've got a lot of extra weight in that thing too. So, I mean, you're burning a lot of fuel to go back and forth to the United States, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, and that's the convenience of having John Cashman come out to your place. Right, right. Well, I have a service call fee as well as an hourly fee when I do on-location work. Uh, that Suburban uh, weighs on any given day are right around 9,000 pounds. I tow a 6,000-pound Airstream trailer these days. That's my. Uh, I'm not full-time RVing anymore. I sold the big 42-foot motor coach and uh, downsized to a 23-foot Airstream trailer. I love the Airstream. I put that in the local RV park. And uh, sometimes I park at customers' uh, home shops, wherever. It all depends on the situation. But typically, I put the uh, put the RV at the local RV park and then commute a 100-mile radius. Yep, got it. I have to have all the parts I could possibly need in that Suburban, and I very rarely get on site and don't have what I need. People are amazed at the things I pull out of there. Everything from brand new rear view mirrors, remote controls for convertible top operation, and just about anything the car could need in the convertible top and power window department, as well as a lot of other pretty things and uh, manuals and such as that. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned earlier, it's the Lincoln Man all together on Instagram. Now, we Correct. know, um, you know, unfortunately, you had lost, I think, your dog. Was it last year? And now you have Luna. You know, how does having a dog on the road really help with all those passing miles, John? Oh, she just sits there and takes in the scenery and has the life of rally. <laughs> uh, my last dog, my last dog was Pampa. I had Pampa for 13 years. When Pampa died, she'd been in 47 states. Wow. Now, where did I get Pampa? That's an interesting story. The dog's name is Pampa because in 2003, I went to what was billed as the world's largest Lincoln Collection auction. That was in the little tiny town of Pampa, Texas. Oh, wow. And it was, it was the collection of J.C. Daniels. J.C. Daniels collected Lincolns. He made his billions in oil and gas, and he liked Lincolns. The local townspeople said, if you had a Lincoln, just take it up there to Mr. Daniels. He'll buy it. Well, <laughs> when he shit. died, he had 450 Lincolns. So he died, and uh, these cars were auctioned by RM Auctions in 2003 and i went to that sale and i bought 80 cars for 8300 damn some of the cars were 25 dollars, some were 200 dollars, but it averaged out to be 100 dollars a car now i'm 1600 miles from my central florida property this was before i was motorhoming this is when i had the purvis road property so to make a long story short i made arrangements with the estate I had unlimited time to clear the cars out of there. I just said I would clear the field. I had unlimited time to do it. And to make a long story short, about 15 of those cars I sold as fixers. They were too good to part out. About 15 of them I hauled back to Central Florida. And the rest of them I took the good parts off them on location, hauled the parts back to Florida, and brought a portable crusher in from Dallas to haul the haul the carcasses away and that portable crusher wouldn't come unless i had 100 cars in the pile because scrap in those days wasn't bringing us much money as it is today 
And between the cars that uh, Herb from the Lincoln Old Parts Store in Clearwater parted out, the cars that I parted out, and some other side deals, we had over 100 scrap metal cars in the pile, and those got crushed and hauled away. Ah. Now, in hindsight, there's some parts in that crush pile that I wish I'd saved, but it was a matter of logistics, and it was uh, it took 10 years off me as it was, uh, to do that deal, but it was definitely the mother load of Lincoln parts. I wow. had posts on my website for years about all those parts and so forth. But getting back to the dog, one spring morning, this tiny pup showed up uh, among the dust and tumbleweeds and oil wells where we were parting out all these cars. And on that particular morning, Herb from the Lincoln Old Parts Store got down there to the job site earlier than I did, as was the what happened a lot of times because I worked on the other end of the day and I wasn't an early riser, but mm -hmm. I went down there and he said, uh, check out that seat. We had a Lincoln seat set up in the building there that was kind of our break room and stuff. And there was this tiny pup on the seat. Well, that was Pampa and she traveled with me for 13 years. And, uh, she was what's known as a Carolina dog. There, there's some still wild in that part of the country. The dog had a lot of wild in her. It's, uh, they're, they're basically American dingoes. Mm -hmm. And she died about three years ago, and I got now uh, Luna. Luna is half pit bull, half Siberian husky. Also a, uh, a rescue dog, but she came from the animal shelter out here in Lake Elsinore, California. And I highly recommend rescue dogs. They just want a, a good home and they're loyal companions. And if you're looking for a, a, a great dog, check out your local animal shelter. That's awesome, John. Yeah, I know that you're an animal lover. And when uh, when we lost the pup, man, I w it was pretty sad. And then when I got a chance to meet you over at the ranch here, gosh, late last year, it was pretty cool to see uh, Luna and uh, it's pretty cool to have a road dog with you, man. You know what I mean? It just makes things a little bit easier. And I know uh, my friend, my dad's good friend, Fred, uh, he was a truck driver for a little while. But over the years, you know, he had his dog that he lost. And, uh, man, it was pretty it was pretty tough on him. But, uh, you know, salute to you for what you're doing, especially with the rescue dogs, man. Yeah, they're the best. I stop at a lot of truck stops. Sometimes I overnight in truck stops when I'm traveling and so forth. And about half the truckers or maybe even more always are traveling with dogs. Yes. Yeah. Man's best friend. So speaking of that, what's your favorite part of the U.S.? Because I was amazed that you even made it up to Alaska in the damn suburban, man. Well, I towed that Suburban behind the 42-foot coach. Uh, I went to Alaska twice. I left all the Lincoln parts, all the tools and all that stuff uh, back in Seattle because I wasn't working on any cars up there. There's four Lincolns that I know of in Alaska. A couple of them are really rough, and the owners don't care if the top works or not. They're kind of, you know, just beaters. Yep. In recent recent times since I've been up there, a couple more of them have gone up there that are in better shape. But I just went up there fishing, sightseeing, doing the Alaska experience. Uh, from Seattle back to Seattle, you'd cover about 8,000 miles. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I've I've always, well, when I was a child, my friends or my neighbors of my, where my parents lived, they drove up there back in probably like mid eighties, maybe late eighties. And I used to think to myself, man, being in Florida, driving all the way to Alaska, 
I mean, that you don't get too much more road trips than that. You know, that's 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 the ultimate road trip. And let me tell you, back in the 80s, the Alaska Highway was not as good as it is. That's now. what they told us. Yeah. And they were the talking about dirt roads and shit. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. The first time I went up there, there was a section they'd had uh, torrential rains and a lot of the road was washed out. So we had a three day layover while they put in temporary military style bridges to get across a uh, about a 30 mile stretch there so but that's what you expect when you go up there it's no freeway it's it's better than it used to be though yeah definitely i want to give a huge shout out to uh joey up there you know he's got the uh the 65 and i think recently uh keep me honest tony i think it was a 60 that he picked up and i think didn't you get a chance to meet him when you were up there john I didn't. I oh, didn't. you didn't. I, okay. For some reason, no, I the last you... time I was in Alaska was about four years ago, and the time before probably would have been about eight years ago. Ah, uh, okay. If you're into fishing, wildlife, scenery, it is it is wide open spaces and just beautiful. But June, July, and August are the months to go there. About by September 15th, things are closing down, and the the tourist season's over unless you go up there for the sled dog races or the, the northern lights, which I've never done because I don't particularly like 40-degree below cold weather. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you, especially being a you know Floridian and, and you know living over there in Cal- uh, California. Um, right, right. So we're you know, kind of rounding this out, right? I mean, you've given us some good time here, and I certainly appreciate it. Uh, Tony and I do. Uh, where do you see – these 60 era Lincoln Continentals, including the convertibles in 10 or 20 years, like uh, especially with someone like yourself trying to retire, uh, do you see these cars living on uh, in the future? They'll live on. A lot of them in recent times have been resto-modded with modern Coyote or LS engines in them. Thanks to uh, Christian Paul Customs in Phoenix for recently reproducing trunk lids in fiberglass because the trunk lids all rusted out. And they've reproduced trunk lids. Uh, Detroit Deviant down there in Florida has reproduced some parts. The gas tanks recently were reproduced. Uh, There's places like uh, Devious Customs out here in Riverside, California, that's building a lot of resto mods. So they're they're keeping them going. There's just going to be less and less of them and less and less people that are really knowledgeable on them. I'll probably work on them till the day I die. I just don't want to do four cars a week anymore like I seem to have been doing. But uh, like I say, I will keep them going. I don't know about in 20 years, but they'll be on the road and enjoyed for at least another 10, I think. Yeah, definitely, man. So before we end, I have to ask, I heard some – some pretty cool, uh, you know, you shared some cool stories with me, and, and Teresa did as well. Good old TC. Uh, any cool boating story you want to share? I know one time you may have driven a wave runner or a jet ski pretty damn far, but uh, any any kind of funny story you want to share, John? Oh, back in, my, back in my 30s, I was boating and jet skiing all over Florida. Uh, I was on the water half the time. I was fishing and... Uh, I would regularly go out to Ancloak Key, which is off uh, Dunedin, Tarpon Springs area out in the Gulf. And in those days, all that was out there was an abandoned lighthouse and uh, an island that uh, was about a mile long and 500 feet wide. And I camped on that island for weeks at a time, went fishing and just was kind of off the planet in my own backyard. 
the longest I ever rode a jet ski was, uh, of course, it was a two-seater sit-down jet ski. I rode it to the Dry Tortugas Islands, which is 60 miles west of Key West. Went down there, camped out a few days, rode it back. Of course, I had to plan that trip very carefully with stashing gas a day or two ahead of time in the Marquesas Keys, so I had enough fuel to get back on. <laughs> that's uh, crazy. I uh, I frequently boated when I lived in Fort Lauderdale. I'd boat on my 22-foot Chris Craft over to uh, Bimini in the Bahamas and go over there. So I was uh, I was definitely living in Margaritaville in those days. Yeah, man. I did do the uh, I did do the intercoastal waterway all the way from Norfolk, Virginia, back to Tampa, Florida. Took a month long trip uh, running down all the way down the intercoastal waterway all the way around Florida, varying between camping on islands, staying in hotels, or visiting people that lived on the water. And uh, of course, I planned it for good weather and had a wonderful trip doing the intercoastal waterway all the way from Norfolk, Virginia, which is mile, mile marker one at the bottom of Chesapeake Bay around to, to Tampa, going through the Caloosahatchee River, Lake Okeechobee and uh such as that yeah that's crazy man but yeah you always seem to kind of have that freedom where whether you wanted to leave for a while and go get cars or go on the boat or the the wave runner jet ski which i think is awesome man a lot of people would uh die to have that kind of uh freedom before we wrap it up i did just think i want to make sure i hit on this so i believe you mentioned um when you did the jay leno's garage that you had a little bit of a connection there. I forget. Um, did, could you just share a little bit about how that went down and, um, you know, maybe that experience? Yes. I've always admired Jay Leno for him being a true aficionado with uh, automobiles and watched the garage. And I, I remember watching him on late, late night uh, back in the day. And uh, he called me one day and uh, kind of caught me off guard. I think I was busy. And he said, <laughs> Uh, this is Jay Leno calling. And I said, the Jay Leno? And he said, that's me. And he proceeded to tell me about recently acquiring a 66 triple white four-door convertible. And of course, everybody with an old Lincoln finds me sooner or later. I'm easy to find. <laughs> yep. Google classic Lincoln or John Cashman, I come up. And uh, I go over to his, uh, his uh, garage and I go on a Sunday. It's pretty quiet on a Sunday. That was a good day to go there initially. And I meet him. He gives me a tour of his 300 cars and 150 motorcycles that's in his collection. This is give or take. And uh, I needed I needed two days to see everything. But I got the uh, two-hour tour, and then I proceeded to fix the top and windows on his 66. And uh, that's when he said he wanted to do a um, do a video. So the next time I went over there, it was a weekday. And, of course, the place was a beehive of activity with film <laughs> crews. And he's got a, uh, a, a wonderful... Uh, fleet of mechanics that work for him that keep his cars uh, maintained. I asked him if the collection would ever be open to the public, and he said no, because in California, exhibition or museum collection has to have no gas in the tank, no battery, no oil. It has to be a static display. Uh, and he says all those cars are turnkey go. They are ready to go. He can drive them all. They keep them, you know, ready to go. And, uh, then we did the uh, the show with the 66 Lincoln. That was actually about five hours of filming, which got edited down to about the 50 minutes that you see. Wonderful man. Uh, just, a, just a great guy. His collection encompasses everything from stationary steam engines, traction, tractors, 
steam tractors, steam cars, a Chrysler turbine car, brass era cars, Duesenbergs, Delahades, go fast cars like a Ford GT, beautiful 66 Ford uh, XL with a tri-power on it. He has a cross section of a little bit of everything. There was five Bugattis all in a row sitting there. And just amazing stuff. Very, very cross-section of all kinds of cars and power. He's very into alternative power, wind power, solar power. I think he had a Hummer that was converted to all-electric as well as a G-Wagon converted to all-electric, some of which have been featured on the shows. He has enough solar on the top of his buildings that he sells uh, power back to the city of Burbank. He produces way more than he uses. Fascinating man. And just uh, just a wonderful uh, time spent there. I plan on going back there, but he is a very, very, very busy man with many businesses, and the cars are just one of his uh, one of his interests. Yeah, he does seem like a great dude. He's got a huge passion, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. Yes. So, last thing I could think of, I'm going to keep saying this. What besides yourself? What's maybe your top parts vendor for someone that has a 61 through 66? that needs parts, where would you, uh, one of your top choices, where would you say to call? Well, I give everybody my recommended vendor list. Uh, When I work on their car, it's also on my website, convertiblelincolns.com. My recommended vendor list is the good guys in the wonderful world of Lincoln parts. Number one, of course, is Chris over there at Lincoln Land in Clearwater, Florida. I've known him all my life and worked closely with him. And, of course, Herb and Kelly at the Lincoln Old Parts Store, also in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, Jack Rosen out here in California has a lot of parts. Uh, Class E Cars Unlimited in Lakeshore, or not Lakeshore, Mississippi but Summerall, Mississippi, they have they have a lot of parts. Probably my number one go-to place is Lincoln Lander, the Lincoln Old Parts Store. Awesome. In recent times, there's been some other uh, places uh, coming up. Uh, I want to mention uh, my... Um, my inventory from Central Florida, known as the Lincoln Ranch, recently was sold to uh, Cellulux. Uh, Brian. Cellulux is S-E-L-L-U-X-E. All those parts have been uh, hauled over to Stewart, Florida. And if you Google Cellulux, the man's name is Brian, and he is an up-and-coming vendor in the world of 60s Lincoln parts because he has all my old inventory from the Purvis Road property in Central Florida. And as we speak, he's hauling parts over there to Stewart, putting them in a new building, organizing everything, and uh, he's going to be selling parts and doing restoration on the uh on the 60s slabs amazing man i'm glad it uh, went to a good home so what i wanted to kind of do is give you an opportunity you know you've you've given us some of your time it's been a pleasure having you on uh is there anything else john that you wanted to share with the listeners uh i think we've about covered everything i'm just glad to see guys like you you know doing these podcasts and uh and keeping them alive. And I think it's great when I go to shows and I see guys that are 30 and 40 or something, you know, just loving the Lincolns and enjoying them. And I get a a great deal of satisfaction when I fix a car that's an absolute total mess. And in a day and a half, I have everything working and I I make the owner shriek like a schoolgirl when everything works. (laughs) That's very gratifying to do that. And uh, they're they're a, a unique car. I just I just guess I could say leave 15 minutes extra time wherever you go in a Lincoln convertible for all the attention it generates. Yeah, that's awesome. And 
think about you know Tony and I talk about this. Can you believe like when you talked about Herb and Kelly over at Old Lincoln Parts, Chris over in team at, at uh, you know Lincoln Land, and then Blair uh, over right near there? It's almost like the Bermuda Triangle of Lincolns, and it's always amazed me that it almost seems like there's more cars in other parts of the country, like Texas and California. And then there's so many places here. And of course you were over here, which ended up with Tim Nil. So, I mean, it's just amazing to me that, um, that things worked out that way. I guess it's just how the cards fell in central Florida. The, uh, you know, the, the triangle of Lincoln, Lincoln people, uh, you know, me and Blair had a shop in the eighties and now Blair has a shop over in, uh, in the Clearwater area. He is very knowledgeable on the cars. He does a lot of rebuilding of parts such as the automatic temperature control brain boxes, the very complex power steering pumps. Uh, Blair farmer is highly recommended for repair work. Uh, he doesn't really mail order parts so much as say like Herb or Lincoln Land does. And uh, Jack Rosen out here in California also is parts. He do, he doesn't do repair work. But uh, on my website is a list of recommended vendors that uh, do have parts and do do work on these cars. Awesome man. So uh, closing joke, you know, have you ever broken a flip flop on the job site, or do you carry extra flip flops, John? <laughs> I got extra flip flops at all times, nice. so I'm not like Jimmy Buffett that blew out my flip flop, <laughs> stepped on a pop top, and had to cruise on back home. <laughs> but there's booze in the blender, and soon it will render that frozen concoction that helps me hang on. Hell yeah, man! Well, when I posted a photo, I think one day of, I think it was. A guy with the guitar was a Jimmy Buffett, and, and and you go, man, I had that poster hanging for a long time at the place over there in the ranch. <laughs> this was the poster of Jimmy Buffett leaning on a 64 Lincoln? Yes, yes. I, I saw yes. that video. Where is that poster? Where is that poster now? I don't know where it's at, but I, I came across a photo of it, and that's when I posted. And you were like, yeah, I had that I had that hanging for a long time. And it made me think. I was like, huh, I wonder where that ended up. Well, when, when me and Blair had the shop in Tampa in uh, Drew Park near the airport, that poster was hanging on the wall right, ah, by, the, okay. right by the office. I bet you Blair has it. I'm going to have to check with Blair. <laughs> yeah, i got to have him check, check that out because I, I lost track of that years ago go amazing well i've always said people pay me for what i do not how i look and i gotta be comfortable because <laughs> i'm jumping in and out of that car and i can't do it as agilely as i used to but uh you know you got to get in weird positions to to work on these things sometimes and uh the only thing i don't do is get under the dash of a 64 and 65 anymore those are just killers yeah definitely man well, it's been cool, man. Maybe in the next year or so, we could have you back on, talk a little bit about what you've been up to. But, you know, it's a pleasure. We um, we also produce another podcast that's more like into the air suspension and trucks. But with this podcast, I really enjoy it. You know, Tony, Boss Bowen, and I, we uh, we're, we love these cars as you and many other people do. And, uh, we're, John, we're going to stay on the rise. I'm glad you're keeping them on the rise. And if uh, your listeners have any questions, need tech advice, wonder about parts, I'll be happy to share my head full of information with them. All they have to do is give me a call. I'm at 813-390-1950, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time. And the website is convertiblelincolns.com. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate you, brother. Jason, thank you. Let's
on sponge cake Watching the sun bake All of those tourists covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp there Searching for 